Welcome to the Walk Worthy Podcast, a podcast by Hespler Baptist Church, located in Cambridge, Ontario. Our local church exists to make disciples who walk worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. We hope and pray that this is an encouragement to you and to anyone else you share this with. Thank you, Scott, and everyone for lending your gifts to our aid in the worship of our triune God. Much of what we are doing this morning is in response to God's grace at work in the life of a man that we know and that we love. And so today as a church, we formally recognize God's calling to gospel ministry in Caleb and his ordination, which we have done as a local church with the assistance of sister churches in our region. So as clerk as of Pastor Caleb's Ordination Council, I'm thrilled to publicly and officially fulfill my duties in reporting the following. The 16 pastors representing 10 fellowship churches moved unanimously, gladly, and enthusiastically the following motions at Caleb's Ordination Council. The first is that we fellowship Caleb, Paul, and his ordination statement. And the second is that Hesper Baptist Church would proceed with ordination of Caleb Hall. And here we are. Now, historically, at ordination services, there are two charges that are given, two exhortations. One to the man who is being ordained, and one to the church who is ordaining. And so Pastor Caleb has asked that I would give a charge to him, and he has asked that Roger Pascoe would give a charge to our church. And so we have divided the typically allotted sermon time between us evenly. Roger, I'm going to be timing to make sure that you didn't shortchange me. Although I'm first, so you are truly at my mercy. One church member said to me this morning, are you preaching this morning? Yeah, but just half as long as normal. And he said, I think that's a miracle. (laughs) He was kidding. Don't get used to it. Uh, Before proceeding to do those uh, for a charge to Caleb and a charge to the church, would you pray with me? Lord, we have gathered to worship, for it is right and fitting that we rejoice in trembling over who you are and all that you've done for us in Christ. And part of our worship, Lord, is to hear what you would say to us as a church. And so believing again that your word is living and active and that you supply the help and power of your Holy Spirit for preaching and hearing, we plead with you again, Lord, to do your work in your way, in your people, for their good, for the good of the nations, and for the glory of your name. And so this we ask together in Christ's name and all of God's people say, Amen. In Michael Hagen's book, Iron Sharpening Iron, Friendship and the Grace of God, he captures from scripture and from history the beauty and gift of friendship. For example, Augustine writes, No friends are true friends unless you, my God, bind them fast to one another through that love which is sown in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Blessed are those who love you, O God, and love their friends in you. 
I begin with these sentiments this morning because I speak not merely to a co-laborer in the gospel, I speak to a friend. When a friend of hymn writer Isaac Watts heard that Watts stood on the, the verge of eternity, he wrote this in a letter. If he yet lives, tell him my heart feels a flame of friendship for him, which I am fully persuaded will burn forever. I understand such a sentiment as I think of my brother. For the last eight plus years, Caleb has been an integral part of my world, and I would not be the man nor the pastor that I am today were it not for the ways that God has graciously used him in my life. And so today, upon his request, I consider it a great honor to stand upon the authority of God's word this morning and speak directly to him. And so thank you, brother, for that gift. And thank you for giving me, in one sense, the easiest sermon ever to preach, because I only have to think about zeroing in on you and the occasion uh, on which we find ourselves. That being said, I preach to myself also, and I preach in the whole church. And so, brothers and sisters, as you listen in, pay careful attention to the many ways that this, I hope, will teach you to pray for a man who is a minister of the gospel. And in addition, unless our Lord Jesus returns very soon, Caleb nor I will be the last pastors of this local church. And this may not be the last local church that we or you belong to. So as you hear exhortation directed towards Caleb, hear also what it is you are looking for in men who would be ministers of the gospel, even as I speak directly to our brother pastor. And to do that, there is one verse of Scripture I wish to impress upon Caleb with the help of the Spirit today. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read a few verses for context, but press into one verse in particular. So 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to pick up in verse 11, down to the end of the chapter, and I'm going to zero in on verse 16. So 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 16. This is what the Holy Spirit says. First Timothy 4, 11 to 16. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. And then verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do that again, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. The Apostle Paul is writing these words to Timothy while Timothy was pastoring in the city of Ephesus. And Paul penned this letter to his son in the faith and his co-laborer. And he says back in chapter 3, he says, I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing, writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how 
One ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. One of Paul's great concerns for the church, which sheds light on the instruction given that we have just read, comes to us at the opening of the letter, just for some broader context. He writes at the beginning, and he says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. A little bit later, Paul highlights that the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And so Paul commands Timothy with regard to his way of life and the content of his teaching, and he pleads with him near the end of the book in chapter 6, verse 20. He says, Oh, Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And in all of this, Paul has set forth, inspired by the Holy Spirit, a pattern for all ministers of the gospel to follow in Christ comes, which includes you, Caleb, my dear brother. As a summation of all of this, I press into 1 Timothy 4.16, because the verse encompasses, one, how you should live, two, what you should teach, and three, the aim of persisting in both godly living and sound doctrine. And so I exhort you firstly, brother, to keep a close watch on yourself. Caleb, by the strength of God's grace, be mindful, be attentive to the way that you live. The immediate context fills this in for us. If we move back up just for a moment to verse 12. Caleb, keep a close watch on your speech. Too many ministers have torpedoed their own ministries with their own words. Yet by paying careful attention to what you say and what you do not say, may God cause your words to resound with the character of our Lord Jesus Christ and the content of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Caleb, keep a close watch on your conduct. Too many ministers have disgraced themselves and the gospel in people's eyes by living a double life that though for a time is unseen, eventually It catches up to them, and there are too many names, sadly, to name. Yet by paying careful attention to your actions, you can adorn the glory of God and his blessed gospel by the way that you live. Caleb, keep a close watch on your love. Too many ministers let their affection for Christ and for his people to grow cold. And so pray regularly, brother, that God would grant you the affection of Christ Jesus for his people, for the lost, and that he would sustain the sweet flame of zeal for him, for his gospel, and for his kingdom. Caleb, keep a close watch on your faith, asking God to help you in your unbelief so that you might exemplify for these brothers and sisters and anyone else in the future under your charge, what it looks like to trust our almighty Father in heaven, the power of His Son to save even the hardest of sinners, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit who indwells you to encourage and comfort and cheer you on. And brother, keep a close watch on your purity. I've heard you say yourself, echoing Robert Murray McShane, you've heard us say it before, that what a congregation needs most from her pastor is his personal holiness. Too many will confess this with their lips, but fail to follow through in tangible expressions of godliness. And so, brother, do not settle for being such a man. And then if we expand beyond these in the immediate context, we have 
more of 1 Timothy to fill in what it looks like for a gospel minister to pay careful attention to his life. There are the character qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3, and I don't have time to expound on all of these, but I would seek to serve the wife and son that God has given you, gifted you with, by highlighting just two of those. So Caleb, keep a close watch on your being a one-woman man, on loving your wife as Christ has loved his bride in faithfulness, which he did by laying down his life for her. Brianna has willingly entered this calling with you, which otherwise would be impossible and ill-advised of pursuit. And the sacrifices God will call her to make as a pastor's wife, which are often hidden, right, sister? They're often hidden. I believe that pastors, wives of pastors, will be farther down the the road with respect to reward when it comes to coming before the, the judgment seat of Christ. And so knowing all of that, continue to pay attention to her that you would live with her in an understanding manner. In all the ways that God uses her to help you in life and ministry, do not neglect to love her and to lead her. Likewise, keep a close watch on how you're shepherding the little flock that meets in your home. God has given you a gift in Nathan, aptly named. And God may yet bless you with more arrows in your quiver. Do not neglect the pursuit of faithfulness as a father as you pursue faithfulness in ministry. They're a package deal. You know, church, we live in a world that is very satisfied with someone to be very successful in just one area of life. Sports, music, acting, whatever you might think. But that is not the standard of our Lord. And so we are exhorted, keep a close watch on yourself. In summary, what this entails is a guarding of the heart above all else, for it is from the heart that flows the wellspring of life. Out of the overflow of the heart, we speak, we act, we love, we are pure or impure, we believe, we disbelieve, we put the interests of those closest to us above our own, or we are selfish and neglectful. But there is one whose strength and power is sufficient, brother, to change our hearts to be molded as they ought, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so for every look you take at keeping a close eye on yourself, to borrow from McShane again, take ten looks at Christ that you may grow in the grace and knowledge of him for transformation in all of life. Now, in addition to Timothy's character and conduct, Paul also has in view the content of Timothy's ministry. And so he writes to this young pastoral protege, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. The Apostle Paul refers to doctrine 19 times in his letters, 15 times in the pastoral epistles, which is 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. He knows that the soundness, the health of the pastor's doctrine will determine the soundness, the health of the local church. And so Paul dedicated his life to preaching a whole gospel from a whole Bible to make whole Christians, putting every measure in place to ensure that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ would be guarded from distortion. One of the reasons I'm so thankful to God for you, brother, is your commitment to what Paul writes back in verse 13. You devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Caleb, you already are a man who keeps a close watch on your teaching as you do your life. Yet so was Timothy. And Paul still exhorted him to ensure that he continued to confess this great mystery of godliness. That Jesus was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. 
He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world. And he was taken up in glory. And with that in mind, hear these phrases from Paul's letters to the pastors that he wrote to. Just, I'm going to rapid fire these. If you want the references later, anyone, I'll send them to you. But listen, just as a summary of these. Charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Command and teach these things. Teach and urge these things. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, some speech that cannot be condemned. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Paul cares about the teaching ministry of local church pastors. And the capstone of them all is come, comes to us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he says this to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preachers hear the coming footfalls of the Lord Jesus Christ every time they open their Bibles. And so, brother, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Brother, if the Lord Jesus tarries, and God gives you 30 to 40 more years of ministry, please hear these exhortations to watch your teaching and your preaching so that you proclaim nothing more and nothing less than Christ crucified. You may have a longer tenure and pastoral ministry ahead of you than you have been alive. Which brings us to Paul's second command to Timothy in this verse where he says, persist in this. Remain steady in watching both yourself and your teaching. As another writes, a quick checkup is not what Paul has in mind, but consistent attention in the long run. And so he says, continue in these. Those of you who know Caleb well will know that he likes to run. I'm not sure how good he is at it, but he likes to do it. He is good at it, and teasing. Here's an illustration of what I believe Paul had in mind when he says to persist. When it comes to watching your life and your doctrine, take a leaf out of Cliff Young's book. Do you know that name? Okay, you might when I describe it. In 1983, which I know was before you were born, Sometimes Caleb gives me the gears about being older than him, and I don't know why, because we're both in our 30s now, but anyway. In 1983, Cliff Young, a potato farmer and an athlete from Victoria, Australia, he became an Australian celebrity at the age of 61 when he ran and won an ultra-marathon from Sydney to Melbourne, which, if you don't know your geography, it's just fine. That's a 875-kilometer race. 
He ran it in five days, 15 hours, and four minutes. What's interesting about Young is that he was slower than all the other runners. So there's hope yet, brother. His technique was more of a shuffle. After the first day, he was behind the leaders. But conserving his energy, he was able to keep going while the others slept. By the time the 61-year-old man had finished the race, he was 10 hours ahead of second place and almost two days faster than any previous run between Melbourne and Sydney. Caleb, you have no idea how long the ministry road ahead of you is. Neither of you do. But a Cliff Young-like persistence in watching your life and teaching will ensure that you finish in good standing. And not only you, but those that God entrusts to your care. What's interesting about this runner is that in a post-race interview, he said he visualized as he was running, trying to catch runaway sheep and outrun a threatening storm to maintain his pace. By God's grace, brother, you have no fear of the storm of God's judgment that is coming because in Christ there is no condemnation, but there are sheep to care for. This man had an interesting aim. It was a shepherding one. And so does Paul for Timothy in this double exhortation in 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. He writes, persist in this. For by so doing, here's the aim, you will save both yourself and your hearers. But what does Paul mean here? Maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, wait a second, how can... Caleb or any other pastor save them himself or anyone else. We know Paul teaches clearly elsewhere that Christ is the one who saves as a gift of God's grace. We can't redeem ourselves from sin or reconcile ourselves to God no matter how hard we try. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. And if you're not a Christian here today among us, there's nothing that you can do to make yourself pleasing to God. The only hope that we have is to trust that Jesus died in our place and he bore our sins in his body on the tree when he went to the cross and that he rose again from the dead to justify us so that we might be reconciled to God. Well, if this is so, and it is, then how is it that Paul can say you might save yourself and your hearers? When Paul, what Paul is speaking about here is Perseverance is grace-empowered human response to God's sovereign, saving grace. As Paul writes elsewhere in Philippians 2, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And in the providence of God, Caleb, the life example and word ministry of pastors is a means of grace that he is pleased to use to bring about the salvation, the preservation, and the perseverance of those for whom Christ died. And so with that in view, we have every motivation for obeying these commands, for at the end of all of our watching of life, and at the end of all of our watching of our teaching, of persisting in both, the end of that is seeing the flock of God that is among us, presented mature in Christ to the glory of our triune God. Brother, it is not about us. 
It's not about you. All of your labors, your reading, your writing, your studies, your teaching, your preaching, your praying, is to serve this aim best and most faithfully. For at the end of it all, we are unworthy servants doing our duty, rejoicing first and foremost that our names are written in heaven by the grace of God. And at the end of it all, it's about our Lord Jesus receiving the reward of his glorious sufferings, a people for his own name. And so we serve these dear ones among us in service to Christ, longing that those for whom he shed his precious blood would stand complete before the throne to see his face and to be like him, seeing him as he is. That is what this is for. So keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. But church, he cannot do this alone. So let us also hear what God has laid on Roger to proclaim to us this morning as he comes to give a charge to our entire congregation. Thank you, Sean. I think you've taken up a significant amount of my time. Are you surprised? You need to know that you uh, mostly see us up here in an official capacity, but you need to know that when we, uh, Caleb and Sean and I, are together uh, privately, while we have often very robust discussions on pastoral and theological issues, we also have a significant amount of fun. And I, But I think I'm the one that takes most of the abuse. <laughs> I've worked alongside Pastor Sean now since early uh, 2008. And Caleb since 2014, when he joined us as a, an intern. And then since January 2016, when he joined us uh, uh, as a full-time staff. I often think what a blessing uh, it is for us to have two men of their caliber who have dedicated their lives to pastoral ministry and are so committed to the Word of God and to this congregation. I highly respect all young men and women who so dedicate their lives. It's such a tremendous sacrificial decision. And I see in Pastor Caleb, a young man who is fanning into flame, to use Paul's words, the gifts that God has given him. Caleb and those like him should be an inspiration to us all. So it's my joy then and privilege to bring this charge to the congregation at Caleb's ordination service. The text that I have chosen is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, which says, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, this verse is an exhortation to consistency and commitment in the Lord's work. I'd like to apply Uh, this exhortation to all of us here at Hespler Baptist Church as we work together with the pastors 
and elders in serving the Lord. The context of this verse is the Apostle Paul's concern as to whether the Corinthian believers were holding fast to the word that he had preached to them. Apparently, some of them were questioning the truth of the resurrection, saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. Such a statement, of course, has serious implications, as he outlines in verses 13 to 19. But the truth is, he says in verse 20, that Christ is risen, and the final implication of which is that we also will be raised. Our mortal bodies will, put, will receive immortality, will put on immortality, and death will be swallowed up by life. This is the gospel to which we here at Hespler are committed. And for this, we say in the words of verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All of which then brings us to verse 58. That's not part of my time, by the way, Sean. <laughs> the truth is that we need to take away from this text today is that we must be uncompromising in our commitment to and our convictions about the gospel ministry here at Hespler. We must be uncompromising in our, our commitment to and our convictions about the gospel ministry here at Hespler Baptist Church. Based on what we know about the resurrection, Paul exhorts us when he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, and obviously including sisters as well, be steadfast, immovable. First, let us be steadfast in our commitment to the gospel. This has to do with our dedication to the Lord. This has to do with our faithfulness to the gospel. Faithfulness to its message and the manner of life that it demands. For faithfulness in the gospel uh, is demanded of us. Paul says earlier in the chapter in verse 2, the gospel, it's the gospel in which we stand and by which we are being saved. So let us abide in it, not move from it, not be in any doubt about it. So first of all, let us be steadfast, and second of all, let us be immovable. Steadfast in our commitment and immovable in our convictions about the gospel. Never drifting from the message we profess and hold. Not swayed by outward attack or other opinions, but anchored in the truth of the word of God, standing firm against spiritual assaults by false teachers and false teaching. Let us never waver, but be unshakable, firmly settled in the truth of the gospel, immovable in seeking, as our uh, church purpose statement says, immovable in seeking by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk worthy of the gospel. Now, what does that mean, to walk worthy of the gospel? Well, our purpose statement fleshes that out. It means defending the gospel by boldly standing for the faith of the gospel. It means declaring the gospel by brightly shining for the hope of the gospel and demonstrating the gospel by sacrificially serving out of love for the gospel. This is what we are committed to. This is what it is to be spiritually rooted and established. Let nothing unnerve us or move us, but rather be steadfast and immovable. 
as Paul says in Colossians 1, continuing in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Colossians 1 verse 23, not being tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Ephesians 4 and verse 14. Paul is talking about the consistency then of our lives and the conviction of our belief in the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This exhortation in 1 Corinthians 15 is addressed to the congregation. Not just to the pastors and elders, but us all. We are all in this together. It's so easy, isn't it, to develop a mentality that the pastors will look after that. The elders and the deacons, they'll do this or they'll do that. No, the ministry here at the church is a congregational effort. Yes, we have leaders who oversee the work here, but it is a church-wide ministry in which each must play his, his or her part using our gifts to serve the Lord. And so first, Paul says then, be steadfast, immovable. Second, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Being steadfast in our commitment does not mean that we cease to strive. It does not mean that we do nothing. No, he is talking about a continuous activity, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always means at all times, in all places, or as Sean referenced earlier, in season and out of season, wherever and whenever. Always on duty, Paul says in in 2 Timothy. Always on duty like a good soldier, not distracted or entangled by earthly affairs, not choked out by the cares of the world in in Mark chapter 4 but rather always striving for excellence, always overflowing with zeal for the Lord's work, always pouring out our lives upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 17. Always pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3, 14. Always abounding, he says, in the work of the Lord. Because we are eternally secure in Christ, we of all people should always abound in the work of the Lord, bursting with hope, bursting with enthusiasm in the Lord's work. Abounding, you see, means that the work of the Lord overflows from us, oozing out of us to those around us, giving ourselves unreservedly to the work of the Lord. That's what should characterize our work here at Hespler Baptist Church. Remember, what we do at this church is the work of the Lord. He instituted it. It belongs to him and he preserves it and expands it. It is the gospel ministry. It is Christian ministry. And for that reason, we must do it with zeal and with energy and with commitment, not growing weary in doing good, not letting the enemy gain an advantage over us, not losing heart, which is so easy to do. The work of the Lord then is the totality 
of our Christian activities. It's letting your manner of life, Philippians 1, 27, 28 says, letting your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. It's obeying from the heart that standard of sound teaching to which you are committed, Romans 6 and 17. It's building yourselves up in your most holy faith, Jude 20. It's bearing one another's burdens, Galatians 6, verse uh, verse, uh, 2. It's loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 27. It's by your good deeds, glorifying your Father who is in heaven, Matthew 5 and 16. It's doing the good works for which we were created, that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2 and verse 10. So first then, be steadfast, immovable. Second, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And thirdly, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, undergirding all of this is that we know that everything we do for the Lord is worthwhile. It's valuable. It's fruitful. It's productive. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, what we know gives value and motivation to our efforts. It gives us confidence in our work. Our work in the Lord takes labor. It means doing something. Using your God-given gifts for others, for the blessing of others, and for the glory of of God. I know that at times it can become toilsome, requiring strenuous effort, but it is never in vain. It is never futile. Rather, it is wonderfully productive because it is in the Lord. And when it's done in the Lord, it's never in vain. It has great reward. It is fruitful for time and eternity. The work of the Lord, you see, cannot be measured like laying bricks. It's often intangible, but it is never futile because God prospers it. His work always achieves his good purposes. And so this brings the height of this theological statement down to where we live and work every day. We must be steadfast, immovable, constant, and consistent in our zeal for the work of the Lord. It's that deep conviction that stems from all that we know about the truth of the Lord's death and resurrection and about the value of our labor in the Lord. That's what motivates us to continue with vigor and confidence and joy. When you apprehend this, your work takes on a different character, a character that stems from knowing that your work for the Lord is valuable, it is significant, It is fruitful, it's meaningful, and it's enduring. This is our hope. This is our encouragement. And I commend this exhortation to us this morning as a congregation and to Caleb and the pastoral staff in their labors here at the church. This is what sustains us. This is what protects us from giving up or losing heart. There is a goal to pursue, you see. There is an objective to achieve. There is a reward in view. 
It's the unshakable foundation of the resurrection of Christ that keeps us steadfast and immovable in the work of the Lord in the gospel ministry. And since we know that we will be raised with Christ, that in Christ we are secure for eternity, we can and we must remain steadfast. Not giving in to the enemy, not slackening our pace, not being distracted from the task at hand. Remember our thesis or our summary of this text is that we must be uncompromising in our commitment to and our convictions about the gospel ministries. So let us then commit ourselves today to come alongside Caleb, to encourage him and help him in his responsibilities here. Being diligent to present ourselves to God as those approved workers who have no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. So let us join with Sean and with Caleb and Brian and Tom, the elders and the deacons, to labor for and in the Lord until he comes again. Let's pray together. Lord, in these texts that we have considered this morning in Timothy and Corinthians, we have been challenged as to our individual and our congregational commitment to serving you, to paying close attention to how we live and what we teach, to be fully and unreservedly committed to the truth of the gospel. And our prayer today is that by your spirit, you will enable Caleb in his ministry and ourselves as a congregation to measure up to these charges, to measure up to this high and holy calling. We confess how easy it is for us to become discouraged and be tempted to give up. But in your trustworthy word and in your unchangeable character, we who have fled for refuge have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. For we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Grant then, Lord, we pray, that with the enablement of your spirit, Caleb will serve you long and with excellence, using the gifts that you have given to him. Thank you for his character his intellect, his studious commitment to the work of the Lord here at Hespler Baptist Church. In the words, I think it is, of Robert Murray McShane, would you make him as holy as a saved sinner can be? May his ministry continue to impact many people such that when he enters heaven, he will have the joy of being greeted by those whose lives he has changed, perhaps without even knowing it. Thank you for the impact that he has already had on so many in this congregation who are living to please the Lord because of his influence on them. May he continue to faithfully proclaim your unchangeable word with clarity 
and with relevance. May he continue to minister to people individually in ways that others will never know. And may we, as a congregation, support him, pray for him, and encourage him, all of which we ask in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.